Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today is part two of the Brenda Holland murder. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and apologize because I know I previously said that this was going to be a two-parter, but it's actually going to be a three-parter. There's just too much. I I. The last episode was almost two hours long. This one might be near that. Uh, and we're just going to break it into three. So. Can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> but before we get started, Sam, what are we drinking? We are going to drink, or you're going to drink, technically, uh, the same thing that we did last time, which is using that Muddy River coffee rum, or you can use a coffee rum if you've got one local to you. This was a local distillery. And your choice of coffee creamer, whatever you like. Mix it up and uh, sip away. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely need one right now because I am exhausted. <laughs> it's been a lot. Life has been a lot lately. Life has been a lot. I'm looking forward to my vacation. So cheers to you, Samantha. Cheers to me. Cheers. And cheers to our five fans. All five. So before I get started, I want to do a little disclaimer. I didn't do it in the first one, and I should have. And I apologize for that. Uh, I want to do some just blanket trigger warnings for this one. There is heavy alcohol abuse talk. There is um, physical abuse emotional abuse um rape is involved and there's a lot of um bigotry racism and homophobia that will be discussed in this upcoming episode so just be forewarned it's a tough one and i can't really make it lighthearted, but hopefully my terrible writing skills will make you laugh so at least break it up at least break it up also i have my dog in here with me so if you hear a little bit of whining the boy is in his crate and he is not feeling well so send all your loves and prayers to him poor boy all right let's get into it the sooner we do the sooner i can go to bed also i'm ready to hear this because unlike when i do my more than one parter I do it in the same night so she doesn't have to wait. And also, I don't have to listen to her whine and moan and bitch about how she wants to hear the last part. But I had to wait nearly a week to hear the second part. And wait. now we're going to have the third part. So you suck. I'm nicer than you. But well, <laughs> I'm ready to get at least part two behind me and, and know what's going on. Well, buckle up, buckaroo. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, when I last left off, Sheriff Cahoon had pulled a body from the sound with the help of a vacationing dentist. A Mr. Acock Brown, a local photographer, was taking photos of the, of the body. And the sheriff had requested someone bring Danny Barber, the man Brenda had been last seen with on a date, to the scene to identify the body. Danny did indeed identify the body as that of Brenda Holland. 
and this caused Sheriff Cahoon to grow even more suspicious of Danny. Cahoon planned to keep any questions of how Danny knew it was Brenda to himself. But Danny kept talking, stating he knew it was Brenda because the necklace on the body was hers. It was the one that she was given from her beauty pageant back home last year. The one where she won Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Even though Cahoon would have plenty more questions, Danny for Dan... God, that was early. (laughs) You'll get a bonus one. This episode's a little longer. (laughs) Even though Sheriff Cahoon would have plenty more questions for Danny, he told him he was free to go. According to John Rayleigh's book, the sheriff was losing control of the crime scene early on. In taking more photos, Acock Brown removed Brenda's necklace, tearing badly decomposed skin away with it. Wow. Oh, it gets better. (laughs) He then washed it off in the water by the nearby dock and took photos of the necklace. He then handed the jewelry to the sheriff. He washed it off. So if there's any kind of evidence on the jewelry, he just cleaned it off. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Moving on. Just a local photographer taking a necklace off of a decomposing body. Sure. But cool. All right. Well, sure. At around 2 p.m., the hearse left with Brenda's body headed to Norfolk office of the Virginia State Medical Examiner. The autopsy would be done there because it was the closest morgue with the best uh, pathologist. North Carolina lacked a statewide medical examiner's office at the time. If you remember from part one, when Brenda's body was discovered, she wasn't wearing a blouse. Sheriff Cahoon was troubled by this fact and spoke with Molly Black, Brenda's roommate, to get a description of the blouse that she was wearing when she disappeared. Also, Cahoon gave Brenda's necklace to shotgun and never entered it into evidence. Like, I I get Acock Brown fucked up by rinsing it in a sound, but come on. You still have to enter it. It was still on her when they found her. It just went directly to shotgun and he held on to it for the rest of the of, of days. Just, okay. it was his now. Whatever. Some people on the island speculated that Brenda had taken her own life. Dumb. <laughs> There's my little note in there. <laughs> During I mean, this time, I guess if you're if you're going to go through any and all theories, that has to be on the list. Does it though? I mean, you have to at least rule it out as an option. Okay. It might be an immediate easy thing to rule out, but you still have to kind of take it into consideration and immediately rule it out. Well, we'll come back to that when we get the pathology report. Okay. <laughs> during this during this time, Danny Barber was quiet. He did tell the uh, Virginian Pilot newspaper of Norfolk before Brenda's before Brenda's body was found that Brenda was a wonderful girl, and he was angered by the news stories that indicated otherwise. People had started calling her promiscuous and crap because why did I write crap in there? What the fuck is wrong with me? Because she was dating around. And then I wrote, what a load of tugger poop. (laughs) He doesn't care. He was asleep. (laughs) 
Poor guy. I know, poor guy. Danny had agreed to an interview with the pilot. This is a newspaper journalist bullcrap. But he canceled after they found Brenda's body. Some people found this suspicious. But Danny said he didn't feel like doing the interview anymore. And the paper reported that he looked tired and strained. Friends said that he was grieved by Miss Holland's death. Which, I mean, anyone yeah. would be. I mean, if even if you had nothing to do with it and you weren't even that close to her, just knowing her and that yeah. something like that happening, that would have an effect on you. Exactly. By Friday, the pathologist, Heinz, oh my God, I, and I looked up four days ago how to pronounce this last name and now I don't remember, but it's Heinz Karnitschnig. Karnitschnig? I don't remember. He was a re- there's a long story about him in the book, but I didn't include it because unless it, it wasn't important to the story I'm trying to tell, it was just important in the book. But also buy the book if you can. It's very interesting. Loved it. What? The uh, pathologist Heinz, I'm not going to repeat that last name, uh, phoned Cahoon with the pre- preliminary cause of death. Ligature strangulation. And Brenda may have been raped. How would they know that? May have been raped. We'll go over the notes and what they're saying that is. But it's just like... Okay. Okay. Are we just making that assumption anytime we find a female dead at this point? Maybe. Probably. Honestly. The notes from the SBI agent who spoke with the pathologist are as follows. Every time you say SBI agent, I feel like you're saying like FBI agent wrong. Mm -mm, And it throws me off. And then I remember that. No, that's right. It's just you don't hear it too often. Listen, I'm telling you to buckle up. The FBI do come into this this story in part two. Also a psychic. Also Ouija boards in two different occasions and seances. So fair. It's a wild ride. Try everything. Yep. So, uh, here's uh, what the pathologist said. The cause of death is ligature strangulation. The next shows a... And you're about to get real pissed off, okay? I'm just... Okay. Thanks for the warning. You're, you're welcome. The cause of death is ligature strangulation. The next shows a completely su- circumferential... Why can't I read? Uh... <laughs> And horizontal constriction measuring between three eighths inch and one half in width, and between one fourth inch and three eighth inch in depth over the right side of the back of the neck. There are two distinct corrugated ligature imprints, one quarter inch in width, and showing a rope like crisscross pattern. They measure three inches in length each and meet in the in the midline and diverge. There are lacerations here's where you're about to get man. There are lacerations of the hymen and vagina. The labia minora the labia minora are swollen and dark purple. The external orifice of the urethra shows an an irregulation my god The external orifice of the urethra shows an irregular laceration 
at 7 o'clock measuring one-eighth of an inch in length. The annular hymen shows a radial tear at 8 o'clock. This measures one-quarter inch in length and is bordered by intensely congested hymenal tissue. The vagina in its upper one-third between 7 and 8 o'clock shows a longitudinal laceration measuring three-fourths inches in length and gaping one-eighth inch. There are contusions of the face, scalp, left arm, left chest wall, left thigh, and left ankle. The body is markedly decomposed. The scalp hair is largely absent due to postmortem decomp. A few strands of scalp hair are light blonde. The soft tissue of the nose is largely absent. The entire body is markedly bloated and shows generalized skin slippage. Gross. Sorry, slipping. Um, I put slippage. It's a uh, very visual well, description, but okay. It's, it's very visual. The body was dressed in a maroon skirt, which was quite tight. And in that, I said, so what? Yeah, was, I left it. I, I didn't respond, so I just didn't see any point. Okay. And? So? <laughs> it was buttoned and completely zipped up. The lower two-thirds of the skirt were turned inside out and pulled up to the level of the waist. The torso was covered with a tight-fitting costume showing a leopard print, leopard skin pattern. It has black shoulder straps. After the skirt and costume was cut away, the body was found to be further dressed in a matching pair of panties and bra showing a blue and yellow flowery pattern. So let's unpack this real quick. All right. Okay. Well, the first, the first question I have, and you might answer this, but when you originally gave a description of what she was wearing that day, you said she was wearing a leopard print. Teddy, Teddy, basically. You wouldn't wear underwear underneath that. No, not typically. I mean, it's really uncomfortable if you do. Now, there's a difference between a Teddy and a bodysuit. Yeah. So if if the Teddy was actually a Teddy, it was lingerie, I highly doubt she would wear a bra and panties underneath it. Well, you, you probably wouldn't wear a bra, but you probably would wear panties under... And I hate saying the word panties under a teddy. Because a teddy. Well, I wouldn't wear it any longer than I absolutely had to anyway. But that's just just me. But she had a date afterwards, you know, whatever. But the way that they wrote it in there that it was a costume and it wasn't not just a teddy like or lingerie was just very pointedly. I don't know. I I felt some type of way about it. And then pointing out the fact that her skirt was quite Tight. tight. The fuck are you doing? Like, is this America's Next Stop model? What are you doing? Well, and I wonder, too. The only thing I thought about when you said that was, and it was on the report, I feel like I've heard at some point, and I could be wrong, that if clothing is tight, it has a tendency to affect the way that the decomp is um, when a body is found. So it's that's the only thing reason I could think of was obvious well i mean it's not the only reason there's another reason you're that the reason you're irritated but 
the only valid reason I could think of was maybe that could have a difference on the decomp or preserve certain evidence, whereas it wouldn't otherwise. But also, this is not the actual notes from the pathologist. This is the notes of the SVI agent who was listening to the report from the pathologist. So he's picking and choosing what he puts in his mm -hmm. report. Okay. I was just playing kind of a devil's advocate, but... Play it away, my friend. Go ahead. He was very detailed on what happened to Brenda's hymen. Yeah, I noticed. That was a lot of information. That's the most information I think I've ever heard on About a, a vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, this patho the pathologist knows what he's doing. Like, kudos to him. He had, like, all these awards and blah, 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 and well-known, youngest genius in his field, whatever. And that's fine to have it in a report, but why the... F I just didn't understand why an SBI agent was writing down that amount of details in his own notes about the trauma to her vagina. Like, well, I mean, that's kind of why I got sidetracked because I was thinking that it was the pathologist because it went into so much detail. Cause that sounds exactly like, you know, if he's recording himself so that he can write his notes later, that sounds like it would be while he was doing the examination, exactly what he would say in order to put in his own report. Yeah. And this was after the autopsy was done. This was when the pathologist sat down with the agent and gave them notes. Okay. And told them. So an SBI agent found that to be, to be pertinent and necessary yeah. to write in extreme <clears throat> detail. You know what would have sufficed there? Sufficient trauma to the vaginal area to suspect rape. Yeah. Done. <laughs> okay. Moving on. The report raised more questions. Cahoon found it odd that... Sheriff Cahoon found it odd that if Brenda had been raped, it was unlikely that the rapist would have clothed her again before disposing of her body. Which, okay. She's wearing a skirt. She's wearing a teddy. Those are open at the bottom. The only thing you have to take off are the underwear. Right. I don't... If. And really, to be honest, you wouldn't have to fully remove them. Correct. I mean, you could just move them out of the way. But I mean, you know, whatever. He's, In theory. He's, he's, you know, thinking. But also, he was wondering why they wouldn't put her blouse back on in that case either if they put all of her clothes back on. Well, maybe they were interrupted by what they were doing. Maybe. Didn't have a chance to do it. So was it possible that she was sexually assaulted days before? You know? Like, by somebody that she told Rainy Rains about? Mm hmm, mm -hmm. And in my notes it said, insert eye roll. I mean... I don't see why not, because it's only been a, a few, what, a couple days? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it's going to take time to heal from that, so it's entirely possible. Especially with that amount of trauma that was put in the pathology report? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cahoon did do something incredibly smart, though. One thing. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this. I'm not. He decided to send Brenda's clothing off to the Federal Bureau of Investigations. The FBI for testing. 
but not before a man. There it is. I was going to say something like, no, 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 no. I'm going to wait. This is Montana's story. <laughs> but not before a Mantio police chief, C.C. Duval, handed them in a plastic bag to a teenage friend of his to wash. He told her they were the clothes Brenda Holland had been wearing when she went missing. Why are we washing it? Why are we washing them? The clothes, after all that time in the sound, were just stinking up the sheriff's office. Wow. So this this friend, this female friend, she was uh, 17 years old, pregnant, married, you know, this whole thing. And uh, she thought what she was doing was innocent. Like, she didn't think anything about it. Um, you know, she was just like, yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll just wash these clothes. Um, and then she gave them back to him and they sent it off to the FBI. Here you go. You're welcome. We went ahead and removed that stink on it. You know what? We dry cleaned (laughs) them for you. Can you imagine the FBI agent's face that had to open those to like do the test and like, what I this smells like laundry detergent. What happened here? I thought you I thought I thought you, sound. Yeah, I thought I thought she was in water or something. <laughs> and then they call and they're like, "Hey, so we we have some questions. Like this is highly unusual the the way we we got this evidence. So I just thought we'd ask some questions about it." And they're like, "Oh yeah, we washed it for you." Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. So you got the necklace. Somebody just randomly washed in the sound. Then you've got the clothing that could have been tested for evidence, even though it wasn't a sound for a while. There probably was evidence on it, and somebody washed it. So basically, the two the two main areas of evidence that there could have been, which was the necklace and the clothes have been nicely cleaned for anybody that would have seen any type of evidence. Well, one of them didn't even get checked into evidence. So, you know, is what it is, I guess. <laughs> they're they're doing their best. They're they're trying to be helpful. <laughs> they're doing such a such a good job. Um I wonder how the colony disappeared. Maybe it didn't disappear. <laughs> they were just so crappy at their job. They were still there. They just didn't notice. Somebody washed them all away. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of terrible, but I couldn't let that one just slide. <laughs> oh my God. No, that's a good one. <laughs> it's still there. They just haven't found it yet. <laughs> They're too squeaky clean. <laughs> As friends and family gathered at the Wells Funeral Home on the night of Saturday, July 8th, which would have been Brenda's 20th birthday. Oh, sad. Very. SBI agents were having a sit-down with Danny Barber at the sheriff's office. For hours, the agents pressed Barber with all, with all they had, as hard as they could, hoping to get a confession from Barber. Barbara was an outsider on the island, and he felt scared, vulnerable, and helpless. In a statement to the agents, Barbara told them about his date with Brenda, and it is as follows. On Friday night, June 30th, Brenda and I were both at the Lost Colony. 
I did my regular performance as a singer that night. Then Brenda and I left about 1130. We went to the Drafty Tavern and had one beer before last call. Charlie Smith, also a company member, and I shot pool and his wife and Brenda talked. We stayed there while the man cleaned up the bar and left about 1230 to 12.45 a.m. We went to the beach, the Jeanette's Pier, to Jeanette's Pier, and watched people shark fishing. We ran into Houston Rob Waters and talked to him for quite some time. Brenda told me she knew him because he dated her roommate. We stayed at the pier until about 1.30 a.m., and we left and went up the beach to Rocky's Ridge. We walked up the ridge a short distance and then left. We came back to Mantio to my house, getting there about 2 to 2.15 a.m. Both my housemates' cars were there. We went into the living room, and I could hear one of my housemates, Rodney Brett, in his bedroom. Brenda sat down in the living room, and I went into the kitchen, got two beers, and came back into the living room. Realizing we might be making too much noise and keeping Rodney awake, we decided to go upstairs to my bedroom. We laid down on the bed and started to read a Playboy magazine. I made out with Brenda, but did not have sex with her. We liked each other very much and talked freely to each other about her problems or any other matter. I started reading some excerpts from the Playboy to her, and then I passed her the magazine, and she started reading some of them to me. That's when I fell asleep. I don't know when she left or how. On Saturday night, I went. I, when I got to work for the night's performance, I didn't know Brenda was missing. But when I got to the theater, Rainy Rains, Brenda's boss, came up and asked me where Brenda was. She told me Brenda hadn't come to work. Rainy and I then went to, and told John Fox, the manager of the show, and he called Sheriff Cahoon and told him about Brenda being missing. I had dated Brenda three times and had her over, but the night she disappeared was the only night she had ever been upstairs to my bedroom. We walked about, we talked about a date she had with Rob Breeze, a local guy, and about going to her bed, and about him going to bed with her. About the rough treatment. It was very repulsive, and it had changed her outlook on life. Obviously. Obviously. After several hours of questioning about getting Danny to budge on his story, the agents told him he was free to go. After this, agents decided to take another crack at Rodney Bread. This is one of um, Danny's roommates. Okay. I was going to ask. Yeah, just a little refresher. Um, It's Rodney Brett and uh, Miris. Brett was also a suspect. His car had been misfiring badly, and he had gone to Virginia. You're about to get mad again. And he had gone to Virginia on July 11th and 12th to see about trading it in for another car. If you remember, Robert Midget, who lived down the street from the three men, had described the ungodly scream about 3 a.m. on July 1st, the morning Brenda vanished. Mm-hmm. He said that he had heard a car having trouble about the same time. Mm-hmm. Brett was also struggling with being gay. 
He'd come to the outer banks searching for a place where he could belong. Investigators had a brilliant theory about Brad. That because Rodney Brett was gay, he may have hated women and jumped Brenda after she left the house he shared with Barbara and Maris. The investigators had a theme of homophobia, according to Rayleigh's book. Investigators routinely asked Danny Barber and other suspects if they had homosexual tendencies. Because that makes a murderer. Yeah, it's it's typically an extreme hatred for women that causes men to want to be with other men. Obviously. <laughs> that, that that's That's the only reason, right? I've had a many uh, gay friends, many gay men friends, and none of them hate women. Nope. I was just thinking the exact same thing. Uh, none of the, none of my friends that have that sexual preference have ever voiced a hatred for any gender specifically, actually. They might not particularly like a certain type of person and that might be usually male mm-hmm. but it's not all males like that's not i just completely detest that gender like they don't completely wash of of one particular side either way but i've never once had a gay male friend that hated women yeah it or even talked to anybody that was gay that hated women like it's just never and maybe it's because we're friends with them. Obviously, they don't have a problem with women if we're friends with them. But I guess that would be the theory. But I've just never heard of that. It just makes no sense. It It's them It's them being homophobic. And it's them mm-hmm. trying to... It's trying to place the blame on a minority crowd. I've actually heard plenty of straight men say they hate women. Oh, yeah. That I've heard a lot of. Oh, we'll get into that. That there's that's an actual theme in this story. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I was I, I honestly didn't know that. Nor was I bringing that up intentionally, but it was just a comment. Like I, I be on TikTok every once in a while, and mm-hmm. it's gonna come across your feed regardless of the algorithm because mm-hmm. it's there. It is men telling women that they what they're wearing suit revealing re- revealing men telling children that what they're wearing is making them to look too adult like and that they shouldn't be wearing that stuff. First off, you old ass fuck. Don't be looking at children like that. God, that's my soapbox for today. Anyway. Also, it's not a young girl. It's a child. Let's just go ahead and say that. You pedophile. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. She can dress however she wants. If you interpret it as a sexual thing, that's a you problem. Not a her problem. Get the fuck out of here right now. All right, moving on. <laughs> when SBI agents spoke with Rodney Brett on Friday, July 14th, Rodney had already moved out of the home with the other two men. During this interview, the agents... So, just to clarify, because my brain, this is the way about... He had moved, like, he was no longer a roommate to those two people, but they're still living there. He had just moved out. Correct. Because if you remember in part one, he told investigators uh, that he was scared to live there anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. So, he had already moved out. Da-da-da-da-da. 
So uh, during the interview, the agents uh, who were pressing pressed Rodney and actually advised him of his Miranda rights at this time. Yeah. That means you shut up and you ask for a lawyer exactly. immediately. Um, there's a full-on statement that he gives in the book, but I'm going to hit the highlights for sake of time. Okay. Because I've already turned this into a three-parter, so you're welcome. Um, and the simple fact that I don't believe he had anything to do with Barbara's murder. So I put that in my notes uh, because, you know, being gay doesn't mean that you hate women uh, so i'm just gonna put that out there. even if you hate women it doesn't mean that you would kill one even if you hate women it doesn't mean you're gay you don't have to be all, gay all of, there's, there's, all there's, of the there's a whole lot of things that are just there's, not mutually exclusive not, yeah there's not like a cor- correlation correlation is not causation exactly there we go done we're smart we said something smart wait that's our smart thing that's our smart thing hey i hit it this time <laughs> Uh, I think the agents and the sheriff's office were just homophobic assholes. Wow. My writing is great. (laughs) Rodney heard someone come in the night of Brenda and Danny's date. He heard two sets of footsteps going upstairs. He heard the bed squeak a bit later like they were having sex. Later on, he heard someone, something like a cat, and I put in parentheses, There was a cat that hung around their house at the time. So he heard a cat that was crawling up the screen door and shortly after heard someone coming really quietly down the stairway and left out that door very quietly. He didn't hear a car leave and no other sound. When he left for work, both of his roommates' cars were still in the yard. The next day, Danny told him about his date with Brenda and how she was missing. He also asked Rodney if he saw anyone in the living room before he left for work the next morning. Apparently, Danny got mad when he told Rodney he hadn't taken Brenda to bed and Rodney didn't believe him. So apparently they had some kind of argument about this. I don't really think it plays into anything. I think the investigators were just putting that in there to put more fuel on the fire for Brett being maybe like in love with Danny or something like that. And that was a reason that's, that's my thought, but do with that what you will. Rodney also explained his trip afterwards. He went to visit his family in Franklin. While he was there, he told his mother that his car was acting up and he wanted to trade it in for a new one. His brother-in-law happened to be a uh, used car dealer and he ended up getting a really good deal on a trade-in for his car. His old car was worn out and roaring, and numerous other things were wrong with the car. Police in Franklin did a search of the car that uh, Rodney traded in. There was also a rumor going around that Rodney had gone out to the Lost Colony and dug a grave. Okay. This is going around. So why would Danny ask Rodney, so this was a question put in there, why would Danny ask Rodney if he saw someone in the living room the next morning if he was the one who killed Brenda? That makes no sense to me. Right. And as for the grave rumor, there was a depression found near the Lost Colony 
that resembled a shallow grave. And nearby was a receipt for um, gas lying on the ground near it. And tire tracks going up to the grave. One of the two young men who found this recognized the signature on the receipt as belonging to Rodney Brett. The two young men that found this receipt and told investigators about it. Um, so the two young men turned that in to investigators. But the investigators didn't do anything with it. So it could just be a rumor. An unsubstantiated just bullshit anything. Okay. But you know evidence goes missing all the time or it gets washed. Or it gets washed. Then, I was thinking that you you beat me to it. I was about to say that. Maybe somebody brought the receipt in. Maybe they did actually give the receipt to investigating officers and an officer was like well this is muddy. I gotta wash it first. <laughs> Oops. Didn't know that ink washes off of receipt paper, but fuck. entirely possible. So let's talk about another suspect in the case. Okay, let's. David Whaley. David moved to Mantillo with his mother after she divorced her husband. They moved in with, and his mother is named Nancy. They moved in with Nancy's father, Reverend Whitney. On Sunday, July 16th, Sheriff Cahoon told one of the SBI agents to check Danny Whaley out. He apparently had a juvenile record of minor crimes. Sources told Cahoon that Whaley had been reported riding around downtown Mantillo and on Barber's Road around the time Brenda vanished. About 3 a.m. on July 1st. And had been seen riding around there since, and had not been seen riding around there since Brenda vanished. Which was unusual because this was an area where he frequently rode around. David was a huge drinker and kind of a fuck up. That's my notes, not from I figured. <laughs> <laughs> but he was intelligent and a bit preppy. He hung out with a man named Dennis Midget. No relation. There is no relation that I know of to the other Midget in this story, by the way. Really? I can't imagine that's a common name. I was very confused, but we've got two, three now. Um, Okay. It was strange that the two would be friends since Dennis, Dennis Midget, at 27, was recorded to be mentally challenged with a speech impediment. He was also working class and made a living doing odd jobs around the island, but for all accounts, he was loved by everyone. Meanwhile, David Whaley was like an upper middle class kid. He was a fuck up. He was an alcoholic, but he was preppy. He was well liked, you know, a very popular person on the island. But they apparently had a friendship, so who am I to judge? There have been weirder pairings, so. Like me and you? Yes, I know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That too. Uh, Dennis told law enforcement officers he'd been riding around with Whaley in Brenda's neighborhood the night she vanished. David Whaley had told him he had, he, and I quote, had to have him a woman before he went to bed, unquote. Okay. 
Whaley used to drive a 1964 two-door Blue Valiant, but it had broken down on Hatteras Island on July 6. He had it towed back to Mantillo and traded it in for another car. And it was now at a garage. Again, going back to what Robert Midget said about the car trouble crap in the middle of the night. I'm just so fucking eloquent with my wife. <laughs> An FBI agent checked with the record. I keep thinking, of like, maybe you're writing the notes. No, we've been doing this long enough now. You're not writing the notes thinking you're not going to read that out loud because you've been doing it the whole time. So I don't really know why no. I did. I get like. <laughs> I'm getting into it and I'm like getting frustrated at the story and like at the people in the story. And that's also just how I talk about stuff. True. Even in my professional life, which, you know, has not gotten me any kudos points, but I still get raises. So (laughs) suck it. Still know what you're doing. I still know what I'm doing. Anyways, an SBI agent checked with the record driver who towed in Whaley's car. The car's rear end had completely come apart the driver said, and the driver shaft had dropped out on the ground. I'm not a mechanic, and I don't know a lot. I mean, a little bit. I know a little bit about cars, but I'm going to take a while guess and say that's probably bad. I think that, that sounds pretty, pretty bad. I think that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my husband after he hears this episode. <laughs> Please do. I want to know. <laughs> um. The SBI agent asked the driver how the car would have sounded before it broke down, and apparently it would have been making a lot of noise. I'll uh, go back to what Midget said about a lot of noise. But that could be anyone. I mean, how many people have car trouble? Like Apparently, too, so far. <laughs> yeah, just with the- I was thinking about that, actually, when you were saying that. I'm like, wow, that's, that's two. Anyway... When they searched the car, they found blonde hair on the seats and floorboard. Brenda had dyed her hair blonde before she mm-hmm. moved to Mantio. Like, you know, most people were doing at that time, but True. whatever. But still. Test the hair. Oh, wait. Oh, no. They washed it. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me that you're joking. No, no, I am joking. That's okay. They, they, I was going to start getting worried. They do test this hair. <laughs> okay. I feel a little better. But before, well, but at the time they didn't have like DNA tests and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, during this time, uh, Cahoon and the agents were hearing about another suspect. Remember how um, I said another dentist would play a role mm-hmm. in this case? Well, yeah. let me introduce you to Dr. Linus Matthew Edwards. He is quite a gem. <laughs> and he is the island's only dentist. Dr. Edwards was reportedly intoxicated and quite violent on the <laughs> night of this crime. Lovely. He also left his home in search of his wife, who fits the general description of Brenda Holland. Wait, did he actually have a wife, or that was the description he provided? He actually had a wife. I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you more about okay. Dr. Edwards. Okay. That's so, very confusing, but okay, keep going. Dr. Edwards served in the U.S. Army during World War II, doing reconstructive surgery on uh, soldiers with jaw injuries. He arrived in Mantillo around 1962 with his wife, Ida, after 18 years in the Army as a dentist. 
at some point, him and his... This is... <laughs> at some point, him and his wife, Ida, divorced and then remarried. Within okay. a year or so after their arrival in Mantio, he and his wife divorced yet again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm assuming they got married again in between, but... Nope. Well, yeah, so they got divorced... They got married again, and then once they moved to the island, they got divorced again. Okay. That's an interesting way to do it, but sure. Sure. Okay. All right. And I early- mean, it does happen. It does happen a lot of times, from what I understand. It does. Maybe it, I it, it, it definitely would not happen to me, but people sometimes do try it again. Yeah, maybe. Um in early 1964, Dr. Edwards had moved on and was dating Dottie Fry. There's a lot about Dottie uh, in the book. And again, I cannot stress this enough. If you want to know more about this case, read the book. Um, Dottie's like a firecracker. She grew up on the island, blah, blah, blah. Um, she was married before. And uh, her husband actually ended up dying Right before her daughter was born. So. sucks. Dottie and Linus Edwards married on August 22nd, 1964. So not even a year into their relationship. He was 48 and she was 32. Dottie had a daughter, Claudia, from her previous marriage. Her husband had passed away. And Claudia served as the flower girl in their wedding. Aww. However, shit was real weird in that family after the marriage. Dr. Edwards had a temper. He sometimes walked around nude. Okay. Claudia, the daughter, one night was awakened by strange strange noises. She walked down the hallway and looked into the kitchen. Dr. Edwards had tied her mother to a table. Claudia went back to her room and went to bed. What? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Dr. Edwards was also having an affair with a local woman at the time. Him and Dottie were married. Dottie Dottie and her friend caught them in the act one day in their family's living room. I want to see if you can... um, uh, Well, I'm just going to read this next part. Tell me what you think about him. Okay. Dr. Edwards tried isolating Dottie from friends and family. He routinely insulted her best female friends. He drank to excess and physically abused Dottie. She was once hospitalized from his abuse. Sometimes she fled and hid out at friends or neighbors in her mother's house. Mm-hmm. Dottie didn't report the incidents to the law to to the law uh, to law enforcement because she feared her feared her husband. He was insanely jealous of her, including over her friendship with one of Danny Barber's housemates, Earl Miris, with whom she worked at West, uh, West Baco with. But Dottie didn't just sit back and take it, though. She stood up to Edwards. She kept seeing her friends that summer, and that summer she cut her hair into a stylish bob and dyed uh, it blonde. Yeah, I knew that was coming. A la Brenda Holland. Mm-hmm. It was rumored that Sheriff Cahoon was friends with Dr. Edwards. 
On July 21st, Sheriff Cahoon relayed information to the SBI agents in charge about Dr. Edwards. He said, I received information that on Friday night, June 30th, Dr. Edwards and his wife had some domestic difficulties. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, sure. I haven't heard that one before. Sure, friend. Sure. Um, Dottie left home shortly after dark. Dr. Edwards started looking for Dottie Friday night or early Saturday morning. He lives in, he's lived in Manteo for five years and has a very good business. What I don't understand why that matters, but okay. Um, well, people that have those attributes never cause anything. They never do anything wrong. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. He was yeah. such a nice guy. <laughs> he, he never hit me. He never hit me. He just walked around nude sometimes. Whatever. <laughs> maybe we were normal. maybe we were washing his clothes. Who knows? Oh, that's true. He has a very poor reputation for excessive drinking. He operates a Ford Fairlane and is wearing a cast as a result of some difficulty he re- he had recently had. Dottie is the type of individual that would not be freed. This is an interesting way of phrasing this. Dottie is not the type of individual that would be free to discuss her relationship with her husband to others. And it's doubtful she would talk to investigating officers relative to her husband's behavior. So she's not free to do it. You're not saying that she wouldn't. You're saying that she can't. She can't. And you're aware of it. I mean, they're not even pretending. That's, no, they're not. That's like, that's the sad part is they're, they're not even trying to hide nope. it. Nope, they sure aren't. So the investigators concentrated on other suspects. At some point, le- at some point, a letter was sent to the, this is just a stupid aside. Um, and I only included it because it was in the book and I didn't go into great detail on it or write what the letter said. But... At some point, a letter was sent to the governor about Brenda's case. This letter is idiotic, (laughs) and I will not read it on this podcast. Basically, it's racially motivated and tries to point the finger at the local black community. So, just... Do we know who wrote the letter? We do. Okay. Since we're on the topic of race, I would like to introduce you to our next suspects. To do that, I need to introduce you to Lola May Barnett. Lola May Barnett was a hot mess. She was a 35-year-old white female who was on a lot of alcohol. She was also living with a black man at the time, John Langston Daniels. Just as a little bit of a, an aside, two months prior, the U.S. Supreme Court in the Loving v. Virginia had struck down all the state's laws banning interracial marriage. Okay. So, a white woman living with a black man was not great. Still, but it was legal now. Um, but, I mean... Lola was believed to have information on a John Davis Scarborough. So they're both named John. 
So we have John Langston Daniels, who Lola lives with, and John Davis Scarborough, who she has information for. So going forward, I'm going to refer to them by their last names as to not be confused. Uh, Daniels is... So first you have like three people with the same last name but aren't related, and now you've got. That's correct. Uh, this will be this will be real easy to keep straight. Yeah, I knew it would be. Again, that's another reason why we're doing three parts. So Daniel is her boyfriend, and Scarborough is uh, the man she has information for. Okay. On. So. Da 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 da. So, Lola had information on John Davis Scarborough being in the area on the morning of July 1st at about 2 to 3 a.m. The same time Brenda went missing. And that other guy said 3 a.m. too, right? He said he looked at the clock and it was 3? Yeah. Um, I won't go into grave details on the conversation that Lola and what what ensued after that she had with the uh, police. Again, we don't have a lot of time (laughs) to do that, but I will read her statement of what she said. She said, I was in the uh, Mantillo area on the night of June 30th and the early morning hours of July 1st. I had been in the area for quite some time, living with John Langston Daniels. I'm an alcoholic And when I started drinking, I would go with anyone that would give me a drink. I had been living with John Langston Daniels at his home in the area where the pocketbook of Brenda Holland was found. On the night of June 30th, I had been drinking wine and John Langston Daniels had been drinking some type of bourbon. I don't remember what time we went to bed, but I do remember at 2.30 to 3 a.m. in the early morning hours of July 1st, that a blue and white station wagon pulled next to our bedroom window and the horn blew. And John Langston Daniels got out of bed and went outside to the station wagon. I got up and looked out the window and saw John Davis Scarborough and another and another Negro man sitting in front in in the front seat of the car and John Daniels opened the back door of the car and laid down in the back seat with what I believe to be a woman. I couldn't tell whether she was black or white. I heard John Davis Scarborough say to John Long- John Langston Daniels, do you think you can go back inside and sleep tonight? I did not hear any other communication from him other than I heard Scarborough say that was why he stuck with the same color. When John Langston Daniels came back into the house and to to the bedroom and undressed to get back into bed, I I saw three splotches of blood under the uh, splotches of blood on his underpants. They were not there when he went outside to the car. I hated saying that. (laughs) I hated saying that, but it was a quote and I can't not say it. So, sorry. But it was that time, and I think it's important not to let um, past things lie, because they are still important. True. Very true. 
Um, Scarborough was interviewed after he returned from Hatteras by an SBI agent. Hatteras, or, uh, Scarborough was the one who allegedly drove the car up to Daniel's house. He told the agents, I have not been to the home of John Langston Daniels in a long time. I don't hang around with people like that. I haven't drunk any liquor in the past eight or nine months. I don't know Lola Mae Barnett. The agents told him he was lying, and they knew it. Finally, Scarborough admitted that he did know Barnett, that he knew she was a white woman living with John Daniels. But he insisted that he didn't go to Daniel's home in the early morning hours of July 1st. I'm going to summarize here for time's sake. Basically, Scarborough denies everything. Lola told police, but he actually had been drinking that night. And when he drinks, he doesn't remember much. And he didn't remember that night, but continued to deny involvement in the case. Okay. So, the agents bring in John Daniels, Lola's boyfriend. In the book, it does a good job of talking about how white law enforcement officers tend to pit black suspects against each other. And I just got to plug it again. So, go and buy the book if you want more details. John Daniels told John Scarborough, yes, they, (laughs) oh, that was me making a note. John Daniels told John Scarborough, you were at my house at 3.30 a.m. July 1st. Daniels left the interview room to go and be interviewed on his own. Scarborough continued to deny having anything to do with the crime. He insisted on a lie detector test and even offered officers his car to check for evidence. Eventually, agents let both John go both the Johns go, but they took another shot at Lola. Okay. So just to clarify though, he says that when he drinks, he basically goes blackout Mm -hmm. and doesn't remember anything, but he's insisting he didn't do anything or have anything to do with anything. But then he does admit to drinking. So he doesn't remember anything, but he's still insisting that he didn't do this. So I'm kind of confused. It seems like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, so to speak. Yes. Okay. Just making sure I wasn't missing anything. (laughs) Yeah. But you also have to remember it is um, a black man in the sixties and it is a white officer. Oh no, I totally get that. I'm just saying like, it's a little confusing. Like I definitely didn't do it, but I do black out when I'm drunk, but I, or when I drink, but I didn't drink. Okay, I did drink. And yeah, I do black out. So I don't really remember much of it. But I definitely didn't do this. Like, it's just kind of... He's not doing himself any favors, I guess, is it, what I'm saying. It's weird for sure. It's weird for sure. But I think it's one of those things like... He knows himself when he's drunk. Even though he blacks out, he knows he's not like a violent person or anything like that. That's just me like speculating. I don't know for sure. Um, But also like... What motivation would he have? <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, um, there were many holes in Lola's statements to the agents, like how she told one friend she thought the woman in the back of the car was actually a black woman she knew. 
And when agents questioned that black woman, she denied ever being in that car. Lola's brother also told agents that his sister, and I quote, has had a drinking problem for some time. She has had hallucinations before when she starts drinking excessively, unquote. Lola wasn't deterred, though. She told investigators that bloody clothes taken from Scarborough's station wagon and possibly related to Brenda's case might be found in the home of John Langston Daniels, her boyfriend. In his bedroom, she said there was a hole cut in the floor and a coffin-like thing under the house. Cahoon and some SBI agents went to Daniel's house and asked his permission to search. Daniels told them to, and I quote, go ahead, unquote. No warrant needed. There's no way. I'm just going to go ahead and say there's no way I'm ever giving permission. I don't care if I had nothing to do with anything and I don't even know why they're there. I'm still not giving you permission because they tear everything up when they do that. He gave and you them, told them it was okay. He gave them permission to search in that hole under his bed. And that was the only place. Would you like to know what they found in that hole? Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming you're going to tell me. <laughs> Would you like to guess? Not really. <laughs> well... Because all I could think of was, like, Playboys, because that's what a guy would do. Um, He's a little older than that, so he wouldn't have to. You would never guess what was actually in this hole, because it was a whole-ass Lola was in the hole. Do what? Lola was in the hole. She was so drunk, she didn't even realize she had been discovered there. (laughs) Uh, okay. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This is some kind (laughs) of... Alright, this is some kind of mess. I I don't even... No, I wouldn't have guessed that. No. (laughs) This is why I don't guess whatever you ask me to, because it never makes any sense. There's no way I could ever guess any of this stuff. No, it's like I wrote a book in a fever dream. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was drunk in the hole under under the bed, but, you know, whatever. Um, So in my notes, I wrote dead in city, if if anyone ever asked me. (laughs) So... Back to David Whaley and Dennis Midgen. So is that why he said it was fine? You can go ahead and check. I'm You're pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why he was like, go ahead. <laughs> Do whatever. She's down there snoozing. She's drunk as shit. Oh my god. Ugh. So I let her I let her sleep it off in there, so I already know what's in there. And that's what's so fucked up about it. Like she had that in her head. And I think it's the only reason she had it in her head was because that's probably where she goes to sleep off a bender or something like that. I don't know. I mean, there. I, I would just have to say that I don't think that this would be the first time that she had gone in that little hidey hole. No, no, not at all. Obviously, she tied something to it when she told him about it. Yeah. Oh, God. 
special. What a wild tale. But I couldn't leave that out. I, I had to have that in there. <laughs> no. Um and so back to David Whaley and uh his his pal Dennis Midget. David was interviewed again after rumors leaked that he had a late night date with Brenda Holland on July 1st. David denies these accusa- accusations. His car troubles came come up again and he explains them away. However, the blonde hairs found in his car were harder to explain. Though he did. David explained that a boy borrowed his car that night to take a girl home. Before David picked up Dennis Midget. The agents asked David about his dating life that summer and he named off four, including one who had had light blonde hair. He'd made out with her in his car. Agents followed up with a man David loaned his car to that night. The man said his date, who who got in the car with him, also had blonde hair. So, the blonde hair probably didn't belong to Brenda. Right. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Well, and the other problem with that is... Um, and I could be completely wrong, but I feel like I remember hearing about the problem with doing the hair test, which is one reason why a lot of times it doesn't, it, it's kind of like fingerprints and DNA. It has to be a part of a case. It can't all hinge on that one thing, especially when it's colored hair, mm-hmm. because if it's colored hair, it affects the hair follicle quite a bit. And it would have a similar effect on anybody else that has colored hair. And since this is a common thing at this point in time for everybody to be cutting their hair short and dyeing it blonde, just because it was very similar didn't necessarily mean it was hers either. Yep. Even if it was a match. So the, I mean, even if it was her hair or it looked very similar to her hair or whatever, it looks like a match. That doesn't even necessarily mean it was really hers. Nope. I agree. Uh, Yep. So around the same around the same time, agents were interviewing David. I didn't put a comma there. Okay. Around the same time, agents were interviewing David. Sheriff Cahoon got a call from his optometrist, Ray Stoutenberg. I know. Why am I bringing up? Uh, well, I mean, you've already brought up dentists, so why not? Let's, yeah. let's bring an eye doctor in we here. Found a woman in a hole. Um, we're just washing random clothes at this point. Let's drop an optometrist in the middle. (laughs) The doctor told the sheriff that he needed his glasses changed, but this was a lie. The doc wanted to gossip about the local dentist. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) The optometrist told um, Sheriff Cahoon... On Saturday, July 1st, at about 2.15 a.m., I was awakened by a loud noise in and around Dr. Edwards' home. I heard Dr. Edwards' voice and a woman that I assumed to be Mistress Edwards. Dr. Edwards was cursing and using abusive language, and a short time later, I heard a car leave. I thought that to be Mistress Edwards. After she had gone... After she had been gone about 15 minutes, Dr. Edward's car left. All the lights were left on inside and outside the house. It was a real dark night and I could not see much, but I could hear. 
practically all that was said. The optometrist also said that when he left for work the next day, he saw the car of Dr. Edwards' mistress parked behind the doctor's car, and it was still there when he came home for lunch. He did say when he came home after work, it was gone, though. The following day, however, the car had returned. This mistress went over to Ray's house about mid-afternoon, and him and his wife said they could tell by her appearance that she was very much disturbed about something. The mistress said Dr. Edwards was very very nervous and upset, and he was going to close his office and leave Mantio. What the fuck is it with everybody waking up in the middle of the night? Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, I know I'm a special breed. And once I'm asleep, I'll be damned if I wake up. Sam, you don't. And that me. is some people. But to have so many different people just waking up. Like, are these people, like, in your living room arguing? I don't understand. Well, I mean, sometimes it can get pretty loud whenever and you don't know how close these houses are either right like it's next door yeah true so, I mean, sometimes houses can be as my mom used to always say spitting distance um from each other so if it was that close yeah i mean if he i mean imagine if the argument's happening here and their bedroom is right up on that sure that would easily wake him up and he said it was him and his wife right yeah. waking up or was it just him no it was just him waking up okay but it was the both it, of them outside or whatever yeah it was him and his wife who uh spoke with dr edward's mistress when she showed up yeah okay also why the what? that's also weird the, that oh. whole situation is super weird like you know and people. like it was a known mistress too yeah. because he's like yeah i saw the i saw the car it was still there it was still, oh, oh now it's gone oh wait now it's back like what are you doing? that's such a weird situation so i mean this is obviously if he's if if he's being accurate and if he's telling the truth and he really noticed all these things he's a nosy neighbor anyway yeah so whereas a lot of us if we heard some arguing we might just go back to sleep and ignore it because it's not like something we need to be involved in now if it's like if you're hearing noises where it sounds like somebody's getting beat up or tossing stuff obviously that's a whole si- different situation but a heated argument i might not stay awake for that if if it woke me up briefly i'd probably go back to sleep or try to but i mean if it wakes me up i'm going out there i'm sneaking around the corner and i'm in a better <laughs> listening area for it because i want to know what the fuck is so important in the middle of the night and also i'm nosy so but that's just me i can apparently i'm not i i my husband actually said that um this past weekend when he had family over because they were saying they were nosy and uh, i didn't even say anything he goes well samantha's not <laughs> it's like what <laughs> and he goes no nah, she doesn't care she didn't ask any questions you can tell her if you want to but she doesn't need to know i got snow thank you i don't have to know i i end up learning anyway but I'm not seeking out that information. No, it killed But it seems like this guy was definitely nosy. So I could totally... And and you know what? Sometimes those people, they got satellite dishes for years. So if anything's happening, they're going to wake up because they're nosy. They got to know what's going on. So it's not that crazy. That's my problem. I'm nosy, but I don't have satellites for ears. 
<laughs> well, you also have deep sleep. Yeah. So it takes a lot to, to wake you up. I also have deep thoughts. So it's hard to like distract me. A la welcome to programming brain, but whatever. So around mid-August, another SBI agent showed up to conduct a po- the polygraph test. And the polygraph tests, in order, go as follows. Danny Barber was the first on the list. His showed deception on relevant questions. Oop. Oh, okay. Rodney Brett and Earl Miris, Danny's roommates, were up next. No deception was detected. Even though apparently Rodney Brett was so gay, he had to kill somebody. Right. Okay. Okay. Homophobic assholes. David uh, David Whaley was also tested. Again, no deception was detected. John Davis Scarborough was also tested, the black man, and found no deception uh, detected. Also, no forensics were found in his car. Only Lola in a hole in another man's <laughs> home was detected. <laughs> So, nothing there. (laughs) Why did I put that there? That's so stupid. Um, Boy, you need to talk. (laughs) You need to have a conversation with her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Uh, But I also want to point out, and um, John Rayleigh points this out quite a bit in the book, um, 60s, 70s notoriously were bad for polygraph tests. I mean, polygraph tests aren't even like valid in court cases today. And they're even more, they're more reliable today than they were 50 years ago, 60 years ago when these were being done. And back then they just weren't, they weren't reliable. You know, if you have somebody who is especially, for instance, Danny Barber, he was, highly invested in Brenda's life because he was dating her. He's also the number one suspect and the cops made that very well known. And he's an outsider. So he's already scared. Mm-hmm. They're not going to pin it on somebody local. They're going to pin it in, on somebody who is not a local and he was aware of this. And so and that, if you're nervous when you're taking the test, then it's not going to work so great. Exactly. So if you're nervous, it doesn't mean that you're nervous because you've killed somebody. It could just be you're nervous because you're afraid that they're going to pin something on you. Dude, do you know how many times I've driven past like a state trooper on the interstate and I'm actually not even speeding? I'm going the speed limit or below. No reason for me to be like nervous but i'll immediately take my foot off the pedal even though i know i'm not going over the speed limit i'm not doing anything wrong and i get nervous yeah it's just instinctual yeah i mean so it it means literally nothing so (laughs) a a lie detector test is not going to ever help you it is only ever going to harm you so there's no reason to take one exactly and i just uh i want to point out that I just named the list of people that they gave the um, polygraph test to. That's Danny Barber. That's his two roommates. That's David Whaley. And that's John Davis Scarborough, the black man. They did not give a polygraph test to Dr. Edwards. And we'll get into Dr. Edwards in just a minute. And they did not give a polygraph test to... I have forgotten it. 
this name. I'm going to have to scroll. I was wondering if it was Midget. No, uh, you said didn't get, he wasn't on the list either. Did they not even suspect him at all? Oh, Dennis Midget? Yeah. Uh, they didn't give a test to Dennis Midget, and they didn't give one to Rob Breeze. Okay, yeah. They... So neither one of those were on their radar? Nope. Well, Dennis Midget is on somebody's radar, but we're going to get to that in part three. And you're going to love it. Of course you are. You're going to fucking hate it. It's going to remind you of um, the West Memphis 3. But ah. anyway. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they do polygraph tests on all these other people. You know, say what you will. Danny Barber didn't pass it. But at the same time... There are so many suspects in this case. And from the very beginning, all I can say is that Sheriff Cahoon had it out for Danny Barber. That he put blinders on and he did not look at a lot of people. And he did not look at a specific person that I'm about to talk about, which is uh, Dr. Edwards. On Friday, August 18th, around dusk, a drunk Dr. Edwards was found in the courthouse rambling to dispatcher, to a dispatcher about Brenda Holland's case. He said the sheriff's office had started a rumor that he was involved with Brenda Holland's murder and that they had uh, the dates of the fight he had with his wife mixed up with a different date. He denied- Were they even, I'm confused, were they even saying anything yet? No. Okay, okay. Just making sure. I thought I missed something. Okay, keep going. No, they hadn't. Um, no. He denied killing Brenda there, right there in the courthouse. Um, and the sheriff, Sheriff Cahoon, advised him to go home. Dr. Edwards was never formally interviewed, I want to point out. Hmm. Yeah. Not only did he, like, leave, but uh, apparently, like, Cahoon and some agents sent, drove him home and all this other stuff. But he was never formally interviewed. Interesting. <sighs> Funny how that works. A little bit of good They didn't news. even stick him in a, dr- in a drunk tank, either. Because, I mean, nope. a lot of people would have been just arrested on the spot and just stuck yeah. in there to sober up overnight. You would think. Uh, you know, especially if it's a reoccurring problem, privileged white man, um, a psychic did get involved in this case. Oh yeah. I was waiting on that, <laughs> but I just don't have the time to go over it again. Read the book. It's a journey. Sorry about it. Another suspect I'll go over briefly was Corey Dupree, a uh, high school student from Selma high school. Rumors went around that he told people he had killed Brenda. Dupree told agents that he was just kidding around. Insert eye roll. There's also... Yeah, that's that's how I kid around. Yeah. There's also a seance and a Ouija board involved in this part. But again, time. Read the book. 
how are you going to bring it up at the beginning of the case when you open up? And then you're like, I'm literally just going to say the exact same thing. Hey, this case involves that. But if you want any more information, you'll just have to read about it. Why don't you just say that at the beginning? I mean, pretty much. Well, you know, whatever. Um, there's also another suspect that, come, that comes from Molly Black, Brenda's roommate. This also involves a seance, but really, I don't feel like it's worth going over. That's in my notes. Okay. I, neither one of these people are involved. And okay. I can just, like, flat out, they're just not involved. There's just not even, it's not even a possibility that they're involved. I just bring them up because it's funny. Okay. Seances, okay. Ouija boards, the whole thing. And also the whole fact that I thought it was, I thought I was just kidding. Ugh. Bruh. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, leaving that in. <laughs> that episode, man. Uh, South Park really has it going on. Um, Bruh. By September, Danny Barber had gone back to school in, at Carolina. This meant that the SBI agents finally looked, took a harder look at Dr. Linus Edwards. Dr. Edwards was a troubled drunkard who was insanely jealous of his wife, Dottie, and was believed to have torn out after her in the early morning hours. Dottie and Brenda were both blonde and slender, both with long necks, bore a strong re resemblance to the other. It was rumored Dr. Edwards spotted Brenda and mistook her for Dottie on that dark road. Cahoon and SBI agents were skeptical of that theory, but they did decide to finally pursue that lead. And that is where I'm going to end it for this week. Of course you are. Bitch. Ah, I know. I know. But there's quite a bit more to go over. I've got at least another hour and a half. So, yikes. Um, but you know what? Uh, this drink is very good. All right. Good job, Montana. Good job, me. Good job, you. Good job, Tugger, um, for sleeping for through the whole thing. Good job, buddy. Um, again, thoughts on uh, whatever type of prayers you do towards this puppy. Uh, sweet boy. He's a sweet boy. Sam, where can our listeners find us on Instagram? At Rupert Tells Podcast. You can find us at Rupert Tells Podcast on Facebook. You can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Send us your show suggestions. We've gotten a couple. We want more. Um, send us how great we are. Um, and just tell us how much you love us. Uh, hey, and if you're if you're listening and you're from a good ways away, maybe another country, send us a note. Tell us a little bit of something about you and how you found us, because I'm kind of dying to know. Yeah, yeah, ditto. Uh, we've seen several people pop up in different countries. So, hi, different countries. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Sorry, we are terrible. Um, what is the other thing? Oh, we yeah. We're terrible. That threw me off. Why would you say we're terrible? Oh, I meant I'm just terrible. You're beautiful mm. and special and amazing and all the good oh, things. Oh, okay. Well, then that's fine. Um, <laughs> Please be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to all the things. Um, 
blah 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 it boosts us up the things and it makes sure other people find us definitely do that uh until next time the reaper will come for us all